My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. Uh, this is Nicole, and today I'm so excited I have Becca um, to do an interview with us. Becca, how about you take it away and introduce yourself and tell your story? Awesome. Okay. My name is Becca. I have been widowed for about 20 months. Um, I was married to Craig, and we were married five days short of our 22nd wedding anniversary and he unfortunately died from complications due to COVID and at the age of 51 Craig and I met in 1999 in Texas and he was actually a certified financial planner got his degree in family financial planning from Texas Tech University and he was very passionate about helping others with their finances, um, present and future. And he actually was, ironically, the person that USAA hired to start their survivor relations department at USAA. So that in the event that a spouse dies, um, their surviving spouse would call into USAA and they would walk them through what they needed to do from funeral planning to meeting with a financial planner and investments and life insurance and all of that. So it was very humbling to have to call 20 months ago into USAA Survivor Relations and use the services that Craig started. Wow. So, yeah, very, very humbling. Yeah, uh, Craig and yeah, Craig and I met. Um, we were late um, in our twenties, and so we were, I guess, late bloomers. All of our friends had been married and had, you know, multiple kids by the time we met. I came from a background of, of a single parent home, and finances were always a struggle. I always worried about finances. My mother worked long, long hours as a registered nurse to provide for us. And so finances were always strained. And then, of course, I meet a financial planner who that's his passion. And he had that passion because his family were farmers in Oklahoma and went through some terrible years of bankruptcy. And so he really had a passion for helping people. And he worked for USAA, then he went out on his own and started helping people. He went from, you know, commission based to a fee based practice. And that gave us the opportunity to travel and to go to different places. We landed in South Florida. He worked for a bank down there, went out on his own again, then worked for a couple of big boys, um, large firms. And then actually went back to a small fee-based um, practice. And then when we moved to North Alabama, and he began, he was in the process of getting his new company registered here when he got sick. So 
financial planning and finances have always been a part of our lives, especially our married life. And so it was hard to get used to. It was hard to go from a single parent home where finances were strained and you never really talked about money or you did. And when you did, it was a negative experience to someone that understood it and was very helpful. And I was very fortunate that I got to watch him, especially when he had his own firm. I was able to watch him. I watched him teach others about finances. I watched him help widows of all people, um, not knowing that I would be his widow. Watch, watch him walk them through the right way to do things. And so I was, I was very fortunate to watch that. Not not all widows have that um, that opportunity. So I have that background. Very thankful in that. Right. Very, very thankful. Uh, and so when he would travel, he would always, always send me an email of this is where the life insurance is. This is who you call. You call USA Survivor Relations. This is our attorney's name. This is my business attorney's name. And so he had a lot of things in place that I was very fortunate to have um, at my disposal. And so it has become a passion of mine to help people that have not lost a spouse to help them get those things in place. And being part of the Widow's Walk, which I run, and Never Alone Widows, there's so many widows out there that are just floundering. And so it's being proactive with those that still have felt to say, look, you really need to have these tough conversations. I know it's tough to say, hey, in the event of my death, but there's a 100% chance that we're all going to die. So, you know, yeah. it's having those conversations up front and then establishing with a good financial planning firm where you do have certified financial planners, not just financial advisors, but people that really understand the ins and outs of financial planning. Um, that can take you from, you know, early in your 20s all the way um, you know, to your death or, or to your spouse's death. So um, that's, you know, a little bit of our story of him. And um, like I said, I, I was very fortunate to have that ex- expertise at my disposal. There were things, though, there were big challenges that I did have to overcome those first six months so big that I didn't as a widow, have the opportunity to grieve. And so my grieving process was delayed because of the things, the struggles and the obstacles that I was facing after, well, he, after he passed away. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of those challenges? <laughs> sure. Um, one of the big things was his business. So he did not have me listed on any of his business documents any of his registrations, any of those things. So he started a hedge fund using precious metals and it was kind of a new concept. And he had 11 investors that had invested large sums of money into this fund, opportunity fund. And it was at a certain bank. And when I went to 
close the account and and issue these investors their investment, their initial investment, because they were all wanting to invest in this opportunity because of his reputation and his expertise. And so when he passed away and I couldn't find anybody to manage the fund or I would have had somebody come out, you know, out of the woodwork, oh, I want to manage the fund. They just didn't have the expertise that Craig had. So these investors wanted their investment back, right? Yeah. So, so and he didn't, ha- and he didn't have a partner or anything then, right? He did not have a partner, no. So he had had some things in place where someone, you know, could come in as a manager um, and, and handle it. But some of those things weren't filed yet because it was such a new um, organization, new opportunity fund. And so I walk in the bank thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. They're just going to write, you know, checks to these 11 investors and it's going to be a done deal. Well, that is not how that all played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he had things at two different banks and one of the local banks in town took the letter of testamentary that I had gotten from the probate court and they closed everything, issued checks to who they needed to be issued to, but this larger bank would not. And the way that they treated me as a widow was horrific. And so they were not sympathetic, not empathetic. They weren't they weren't budging. They they needed all this documentation. We had to refile things. We had to um, send out letters to the equity partners. So it was different than the investors, the equity partners, so that they could all write and sign documents, making someone else the manager, making me the CEO of the company. It was a six-month process before these guys were, were getting their their money back. And so he passed away in September. They were wanting everything to be issued back with a profit or loss statement by December 31st for tax purposes. So we were on this time crunch. It was, it was massive. And it was just, I was at this bank. I felt like every day. And thankfully I live in a small town. The probate judge was on my side and she began writing letters to this bank and saying, look, you, know, you're, you've got to do what this letter of testamentary says. And so it, it kind of got ugly and, um, but I should never have had to go through that. And so I think if you've got someone that they have, still have a living spouse and that person has a business, making sure that you're meeting with your attorney, your CFP, your, your bank, making sure that everything is in place and documents are in place so that in the event that that spouse dies, that widow can walk in and say, I need to close these accounts. Um, Having your spouse as a beneficiary on your bank accounts is huge. Um, Just having their name on the bank account so that they can walk in. I mean, I had to do brand new signature cards for everything. But like I said, it took about six months and a lot of pain, a lot of tears, a lot of heartache. A lot of people calling me, there's 11 investors calling me, and, and a lot of them were real, you know, willing to wait and be patient, but then there were some that, I mean, when you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of someone's money, you know, they're, they want their money, and 
they should. They should get their money. But um, but this one particular bank was just horrible to deal with. And so um, um, just having those things in place for, for yeah. sure. Yeah, like a, so a business continuity plan for your business. Right. Even right. if just someone who Absolutely. can sign, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you, he had a business attorney that had helped him set up the business, right? Right. Right. Was that, was that person a good yes. resource for you during all of this? He was. And he was the one that did all my research for me and was able to tell me what to file, when to file it all the documents needed. And so he was very good. So that's, that's another thing is making sure that you have a really good business attorney that is doing the work for you and that is accessible. Um, so he had this equity partners partnership and then he had this opportunity fund. So he had two totally different business attorneys, one for the fund, one for the partnership the one for the fund was great. I could call him. I could text him. The one, on the other hand, wanted to charge me $150 every time I called. And so, and he wasn't easily accessible. So, that's another thing. Making sure... And, and you know, he's with a big firm. And that's why I like these smaller firms, smaller CFP firms, smaller attorney firms, because those people are just as intelligent and they know just as much. They have just as much expertise and knowledge as the people in these big firms. And so when you're choosing these types of people, you want people that are accessible to you and that are willing to help. Yeah. Cause calling a 1-800 number or constantly getting a hey, he'll call you back <laughs> or it's yes, not always exactly. fun. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, well, exactly. And, yeah. Businesses are so complicated. And the one that your business had, or your husband had was so complex running a hedge fund. It's hard to always right. plan for what you, all the complexities, but just even having basics in place, like you said, like beneficiaries on the accounts right. and a sign that you can sign on the bank or there's, yes. you know, who's, who's going to take over your business if you die. It's like those basics. I'm sure it would have relieved right. a lot like, of the burden, right? Yeah. And, and like things like your cell phone. Okay. So his cell phone, was a business account, whereas our phones, mine and my three children, were on a personal account. So I couldn't even get into his cell phone. And Apple and Verizon were not willing to help me get into his phone. So I was trying to get into things and apps and things that I thought maybe I would need. And I wasn't able to do any of it. And they were not budging. They, they never budged. And so unfortunately, I lost a lot. Now, I was able to get into his work laptop and send out emails to people that had no idea that he had passed. So little things like that that you don't think about of making a phone call to your phone carrier, adding yourself as a user or however they word that, um, authorized user on that account so that that person can get into a business phone or a business laptop or whatever they might need. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, if you hadn't been able to get into his laptop, how, yeah. I know. How would you have found out any of the I, info? 
I know. I right. know. Because I was able, that's where I was able to pull all of that investment information. And of course, his attorney had a lot of it, but all the investment um, things and the names and emails. Did he have an IT consultant that he used to help set up his work laptop and everything? He did. He did. And so that guy was very helpful. He had been setting up his domain and all of his, there was a, a website where these investors could go in and it was like their portal that they could go in and check and, and do things. And so that guy was very helpful as well. Again, small firm. It was a small guy, a small firm with just a few people. It was easily accessible. So you're not calling like a 1-800 number. I actually was able to find this guy and he was able to help me. So yeah, there were a yeah. lot of different things. He even tried to help me with the phone. I mean, he was, he was, we were trying to hack into things, which I don't recommend, but you know, I mean, we were really trying to get as much information as we could. So, um, yeah. So again, having a good IT person that can help you with that as well. Yeah. I, so it's probably another point. Part of your business continuity plan should be a list of everybody who's right. impor- important and their phone numbers. Because if you didn't know who his IT guy was, that's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And during all of this, you have to deal with all this logistics while trying to grieve. And how old were your children? So at the time, I had two 13-year-olds and a 19-year-old. And all still living at home. And trying to navigate life and just trying to get to some type of new normal and trying to grieve and help them with their grief and then dealing with all of this. And like I said, I just, that first six months, I was on autopilot and I turned into the CEO of this opportunity fund and this financial planning firm that I knew nothing about. And I had a financial planner in South Florida saying, Hey, I'm willing to take over his business, but you're going to have to get licensed so that I can give you a commission. So I was studying for all these theories, you know, whatever, whatever. And I was like, wait a minute, like my husband just died. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, And finally I just, I had to let that go. I was like, you know, I, I'm going to have to let it go and let that, that business go because there's no way that I can, I'm not geared towards that. And, you know, that's not my, I mean, my passion is helping people, but I don't know the ins and outs of financial planning. And so I had to let that go. And so I really didn't start to grieve until probably eight or nine months um, had gone by. And I'm thinking, oh, wait, he's not on a business trip. He really is. He really is gone. And really in the second year is when I really started degree and it was a lot harder um you know to to kind of get up and, and get going every day and wow. versus that first six months yeah because you're on autopilot so tell me about yeah. so you had the the hedge fund and then he had the financial planning firm and no and no partner on the financial planning firm then it was just his solo right, practice right. Yeah, yeah and then, he had left a small. Yeah, he left a small firm in South Florida when we moved, and then he started 
Alabama Wealth Management up here. And then he also, something that you know, some certified financial planners love and some hate is he did start a precious metals business. So mm-hmm. he sold tangible, you know, gold and silver. And so he started that as well. And because he really believed in diversification. And so that was one of those areas that he was passionate about as, you know, yes, it's great to invest and but also invest in, you know, precious metals. So he had three companies. So he had precious metals, he had Alabama with wealth management, and then he had the Carlin Hill Opportunity Fund. So it was like three different wow. things. So all, yeah. com- here all I am. complex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all of them complex. You know, it's not just like opening up a, you know, clothing store or whatever. You know, it was very complex. And it dealt with money. And people are passionate about their money, as you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people wanted to know, you know, where, who do I go to? What do I do? What, you know, I want my money. And so, yeah. Were you able to sell those other two businesses at all? So I, worked with a guy in Florida that two of them had known each other working for one of the big companies and they both split off and gone on their own. So I was able to send out an email and say, here's the name of a certified financial planner. This is who Craig dealt with a lot and this was his name and phone number. And so I was able to passive clients off. And so I'm not able to get, because I'm not licensed in Alabama, I am not able to get any commission off of that. And that's okay. I mean, I, I but, but you weren't able, able to be taken. Yeah. Yeah. But they, he wasn't able, you weren't able to sell the actual business, like the name and the goodwill. No, the practice or anything. Everything was, yeah, everything was in Alabama. And so he's in Florida. So I'm not really sure the ins and outs of that. And, so there's a lot of regulations. So, so, lots yeah. of regulations. Mm-hmm. So each, you know, of course you understand each state is different. So it had something to do with the Alabama regulations as to why I couldn't sell it. He would have to be licensed in Alabama as well. It was, just, it was very difficult. The other, there is a company in Tennessee that actually taught Craig everything he knows. And so they were able to lease his client list and then pay me a commission because there's not those types of regulations on the precious metals side um, as, as there are financial planning. So there's, you don't have the really strict. So I was able to do that. And then the opportunity fund, there wasn't anyone to manage it that the investors felt comfortable with. And so rather than selling that or allowing him to manage it, then, then we were just, we just yeah. issued everyone their investment, their original investment, and then and and of course they took a loss that year. That was you know COVID year, so they took a, a loss that year. But I was so the CF the CPA of the Opportunity Fund that was another person that we had um, was able to issue all the with the K K one. K1, K2, something yeah, to K1. all the investors, K1s, yeah, to all the investors um, for tax purposes. So I didn't have to do any of that, which is, I was very thankful of. I just had yeah. to find, so. Good resource. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. 
And so it sounded like you were trying to get maybe licensed so that you could sell the financial planning practice or get some money out of it. That must right. was that a hard decision to decide to forego that money that you could have gotten if you'd gotten licensed? Oh yes. And you know, at the time I thought, okay, I just don't want I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to study and go take a test and it's not know in my expertise it's not my wheelhouse and so at the time it was a very easy decision however as I stepped back and taken a look I'm thinking wow I really should have gotten licensed (laughs) and just so that I could have had that income and I do have income from you know rental property and I have income from the precious metal side but man it would have really been nice to have that income as well. Um, and so I struggle sometimes with that. You know, did I make a rash decision? Did I just gone and taken, you know, the test? I had the books. I mean, you know, what would life look like now had I had I done that? And but then I'm always reminded of you know, things happen for a reason and maybe I wasn't supposed to go that route. Maybe I did make the right decision for my sanity. And then able to raise my yeah. kids. My kids are involved in all kinds of We homeschool our children. And so having to educate them at home and then get them to different activities. And would I have been, would I have been a good financial planner to those people? Would I have been able to give, you know, what's required of me? So I have to give myself a little bit of grace <laughs> that yeah. I made the right decision. But yeah, it is hard. It is hard. I see this happen to, for widows a lot that if their husband owns a business, the the pressure to take over the business, even though it's not your passion or your expertise. Yeah. So that's hard because that's sometimes the yeah. best way to yeah. keep the business going. Absolutely. And letting those people go and not feeling like you're letting them down. Yeah. And doing what's best for them too. Right. Right. Yeah. But giving them, I did, you know, I did, did give them a name. I did tell them, you can um, investigate and research the CFP. I, I clearly stated, you know, that it's important that it's just not someone that's walked into a office of a big name and they're just sales driven. Um, you want mm-hmm. to go, I mean, I, I love the fee-based model and it's really important that someone's not just constantly selling you something that they actually have a financial plan and I look at Joe's website and I and I'm thinking Craig Whittle loved you guys just okay. based on what I saw you know so being able to give them information like that just from hearing him for 22 years of hey investigate me here's the website I don't have any you know any outstanding you know derogatory remarks on my whatever it's called I can't remember um, yeah, on your background, just, yeah, let it, right on your background, and so just letting them, you know, and even if it's not a CFP, just someone that really understands the, all the aspects of financial planning, not just trying to sell you an annuity or a mutual fund or whatever, you know, just really understands the business. So at, at least I was able to give them that when I sent out a letter. You know, I did have some really good feedback of, oh wow, would have never known who to call or whatever. So I know that in the financial industry, there's starting to be a big push that as financial advisors, you need to have 
a business plan, a succession plan of what if something happens to you. It's actually one of the reasons I quit being a solo practitioner and joined Rock House so I could have partners is yeah. What, what do you, what do, what do I going to do? What my client's going to do if something happens to me? So, or even if I did, just, I didn't die, but I was disabled. Like, Right. And I couldn't take care of right. their money in the same way. What would happen to them? So that actually was a big decision in getting partners for me. Because, yeah, I'd, otherwise I don't yeah. know. It'd be very difficult to create a, a succession plan as a solo person. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think about our attorney here in town. There's three of them. And two of them are, two of them were pretty up in age. I mean, you know, in their 70s. And one of them just passed away. And a friend of mine had hired the attorney that had passed away for a court date that literally was, it was a business deal and lots of issues, very complex. And it was like three days after he passed away. Uh And, you know, thankfully they had someone in the office that made the file motion to, to postpone and all that. But, you know, I think I'm thankful that they did have, they do have partners. And so Craig had always been either with a firm or he had a partner. And this time around, he said, I think I'm just going to do this solo. And I, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, all right. And, um, and there's, you know, some pros to that, but then there's a lot of cons and this would be one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The surviving spouse having to, I'm going to deal with all that. And I think about our attorney in Florida. Thankfully, he's brought on a partner, but for a long time, he was, he was solo. So, and even it's not even a death or a sickness. I mean, if you're out of the country and something happens, you yeah. know, the economy collapses <laughs> and, you have, and your phone is ringing off the hook and, and just having someone else that can answer the questions and, and advise is such a smart thing. Yeah, exactly. You made a right, you made a good decision. <laughs> yeah, so far it's been great. Um, so, so do you tell me a little bit about you know things that Craig did to help you be prepared for his passing? That you know, especially because he's a financial advisor. You know what yes. things put in so place. He was, for- he was a huge proponent of life insurance, and I remember a very dear friend of mine losing her husband in her late thirties, and he was an accountant. He was CPA. And I showed up the day after he passed away. And of course, I'm asking about life insurance. And she said, well, we didn't have much because he thought that it was too expensive and we weren't going to need it. And they had two small boys. And so he really struggled. And a couple of years after his death, I mean, thankfully, she's remarried and and he is a great provider. But a lot of people, especially in their 20s and 30s, some in their 40s, think, I don't need life insurance. And I am so thankful that Craig saw the value of it and actually would strongly encourage his clients to get life insurance um, in the event of their death. And so because I homeschooled or homeschool, we had life insurance policies on both of us because in the event that I passed away, he wanted to be able to hire a tutor or something or send them to 
maybe at a private school or, or whatever, you know, and he was going to be able to have money that didn't take away from his income. So I'm very thankful for that. He also, in all those letters, all those emails and texts throughout the years of, hey, I'm going on a business trip, you know, and then he would just give me this outline. One of them was always what to do with that life insurance. And so he was able to tell me, okay, you know, this is, these are some of the debts we have, which being a financial planner, we really didn't have a lot of debt. And mm-hmm. so we, he would say, you know, pay this off or, or do this or, or I want you to meet with the CPA. I want you to meet with them and, and then show them, you know, this is what you should be getting from social security. And, and so do you make enough money that having the, the interest to write off of our mortgage is beneficial or are you not? You know, so he was able to tell me the questions to ask. And so, but keeping us out of debt all those years was probably the most beneficial because that life insurance did not have to go to paying off a car or paying off a boat or an RV or credit cards. Um, and so that was extremely helpful. And then telling me, this is who you call in the event of my death for financial planning. This is, this is who I would like for you to use. They're going to be conservative, um, but also will want to grow, you know, that money. And so that, that was very helpful to have that in place. And again, you can have, like, if you have a CFP or, or a very good financial advisor, they can walk you through those steps and with, you know, if you've got a couple sitting in front of you and you're saying, okay, let, let's, let's talk about your financial plan. That financial planner, I think, holds the key in knowing all that information. You know, you need a CFP or C, you need a CPA, you need a, an attorney. He also put my name on the deed of our house. So he said, as a surviving spouse, if he had survived and I had passed away, he knew the process to get that deed transferred. Whereas here I am, that's not my expertise. I don't know anything about doing that. It might have taken an act of Congress. So he went ahead and set that in place. He also had a trust for us and we still have that trust. And so, you know, we met with a, an attorney, an estate attorney. We ha- he had a will. So nothing had to go through probate except that small business. And that was all the only thing that had to go through probate because he had set up everything in a will, in a trust. And so having those pieces in place were huge. And again, a good CFP, a good advisor is going to advise their client, in my opinion, Hey, you really need to meet with an estate attorney. You really, it's the the best use of your time and your money to have all those things in place. Yeah. Yeah. Like a really good job of doing that. Yeah. A financial advisor can help you make a comprehensive plan about not just your investments, but yeah, your estate plan. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Did you, so through your marriage, then it obviously Craig took on the role of the finance person in your family because that's already his expertise. Um, but how much did he keep you involved during your marriage? 
So because I grew up in a single parent home and I always worried about money. And so sometimes our conversations about money stressed me out. Mm-hmm. And especially early on in our marriage. And so a lot of things he would just keep from me just to keep me <laughs> grounded. <laughs> so I wasn't you know, thinking that we were going to eat beans and rice for the next month. And so he did keep me out of the loop. But as we grew and as I grew, understood that he really does know what he's talking about. He really started to have this more of this conversation. Now, when he was in the hospital, he was faced with reality. And I was very thankful that for two and a half weeks, he was conscious and he was able to have conversations with me. He was able to email. He emailed the attorney. He emailed the CPA. He emailed, you know, other other people just saying, hey, I'm in the hospital. I don't know what this outcome is going to be. And um, this is, you know, the passwords to this and, and all of that. So he was more often, he was, he was showing me things um, of our finances and where things were and who to call and things like that. But I really do wish that I had been more open early on to know that would have been able to gain a lot more wisdom from him. And maybe I could have gone and passed that series seven or whatever it was um, to, to help. So I think it is important that spouses have good dialogue on finances and that both spouses are meeting with that financial planner, not just one of them, that they both oh, yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I as a financial advisor, I worry about my husband not knowing where things are. <laughs> but my yeah, yeah. my succession plan for him has been just go talk to this financial advisor and they'll take care of right. it for you. <laughs> right. But, right. But yeah. Because I worry that because I'm the the take on the finance role that my spouse is being excluded um, from right. making some important financial decisions that I just take care of. Did you ever feel like that because it was his expertise that you're being excluded from decisions? Yeah, it's like sometimes he would make decisions and, you know, whether it's buying a car or buying a boat or or putting money in certain accounts or whatever that looked like. And sometimes I'd be like, well, I didn't get any decision making in that. And you know, there was just probably some resentment a little bit of not of not knowing what was going on. So, yes, yeah, I mean, I, you, yeah, you do kind of feel excluded from those types of things. And a lot of it was like the investment stuff it, because I don't understand the investment part and mutual funds and bonds and cash and all that stuff. I don't understand that. So when I put my money with this financial planner, and of course you know, COVID. And so it's going up and down and up and down. Then it drops really low. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to starve. And so calling him, I, poor guy, I was like, call him or email him. And he'd say, you have to write it out. You have to write it out. You know, like, but Price would have never worried about that. Like he would have been like, nope, that's it. it stays there. Sit on it. You wait, whatever. And I remember her thinking, 
this financial planner is taking advantage of me. But <laughs> it's because I didn't understand, you know, that, that part of it. And so um, it's been, it's been good to have other people um, in my life that understand it. Like one of my brothers, well, both of my brothers really understand the stock market. And so they were able to help me understand like, okay, just fill out for a little bit. And so it's been, that has been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just a reminder for me, I should educate my husband more or, and for everybody, like if one person is more of the financial person in the family or taking care of the investments, they still need to keep that person in the loop of, and help educate them so that they can, yeah. it's like a, a continuity plan for your personal finances too, right? You can stick with the Absolutely. financial plan and keep things invested. Yeah. That's hard. And teaching your children, you know, he would have finance classes with our kids. And it was right before he went into the hospital was one of his finance classes. And it was so cute. They were sitting at the kitchen table, all three of them with their little notebooks. And he's you know, talking about, you know, investments and stock market and all that. And, I, and I'm thinking, everybody should do this, like, with their kids. Because I wasn't taught that. I knew how to write a check. I mean, but that's about it, you know, and I, and I just remember being in college and you go to like the, the hub or the student union, whatever it was called. And you've got all these credit card companies out there and you get your credit card with your college, you know, mascot on it and all this stuff. And I just remember thinking, oh, great, I have a credit card. And I mean, who gives an 18 year old a credit card? But like, I never had anybody teaching me that. And so... I have my kids coming up. My 20-year-old has a lot of money saved in the bank, no credit card, no debt. She paid cash for her car. And so it's because her father sat down with her and, and explained it. And so teaching her kids early on and having those conversations with them as well is, is always a good idea. Yeah, yeah, great. That's such a nice thing that he was able to pass on to them. That financial knowledge. And now I have one child that she gets money on her. Well, she's a little bit better. My son gets money in his pocket and it literally is gone. Like it's, (laughs) it's gone. Like he needs a new cowboy hat or he needs this or he needs that. And so um, they need to learn from their older sister, I think a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, was there anything else? Well, tell us about the organizations that you have, the Widow's Walk. Okay. So shortly after he passed away, and I, well, I would say shortly after it had been months, I really began to see a lot of widows just in my community. We had a lot of COVID widows. And I don't know if it's just where I am. I, I mean, I'm, there are widows all over, COVID widows all over. But I really wanted to start doing little snippets of videos to help widows in their walk. And so I started the Widows Walk on Instagram and have really enjoyed my DMs of, of ladies that are gaining, you know, information and, and encouragement. And that was a lot, which is encouraging people because it's nothing anybody ever can prepare you for losing your spouse. And even if you have 
terrible marriage or if you have a great marriage or if you had a mediocre marriage, whatever. It just, it just never, ever, you're never, ever, ever prepared for that. So it was really just an encouragement. And then through that, I met great widow. I mean, she's great. She's such an inspiration. Sarah, she lives in Texas. And she was able to tell me about Never Alone Widows. And that's an organization out of Alpharetta, Georgia. And they have several local chapters. I, I think we're up to like 70 local chapters. And they have a big conference every February in Alpharetta. And then they also have retreats throughout the year. And then these local meetings that they try to meet once a month. And it's really just, they bring in speakers to help with things like this, like you and I are talking about. And there's also one about dating after death and things, how to help your kids through grief. And so both of these organizations, the Widow's Flock is my own. And I, I feel like I want to take that, run with it, help people. That's my passion. I've had nonprofits in the past when I worked with orphans and adoption. And so I feel like I'm being called to kind of hang that head up a little bit and really help with the, the widows. And so I'm just offering them you know, encouragement because after a couple of months, all these people that came to your aid, they go on with their lives. And it's not that they intentionally mean to forget you. But they do. The, the meals stop. The people come in and doing your lawn stop. The people, you know, people would send you gift cards. And, and so I just want to pick up where those people drop off. And so just being encouragement and, and walking with these ladies, you know, through, through life and letting them know. And that's, Basically, what Never Alone is about as well is you are never alone, and we are here to help you pick up the pieces. And when that brain fog and that widow fog lifts, and you wake up one day and say, wow, they really aren't coming back, then there's a group of us, there's a tribe of us. I mean, there were 400 widows at this conference in February. I'm 51, and I was one of the oldest, which is kind of scary. Yeah, and so you have a lot of you have a lot of first responder widows, uh, military widows, and so just walking along alongside them and being a support, and then giving them practical steps like finances and things like that. You know that that they can take with them, not just not just feel good, warm and fuzzy, but some of the hard conversations like, you know, what do you do? Do you go back to work? Do you? Let's all just social security. <laughs> you know, what do you do? You love a life insurance and, and just having those practical conversations with widows. Yeah. So you, you got married, you said a little bit later. So you'd, you'd had a career then. Yes. Before. Yes. And then you kind of step back from your career to do homeschooling or do you still work? So I had always wanted to have a career. I worked for Nestle. And I had always wanted to go back. And we adopted our first child from Ukraine in 2004. And we got into a lot of red tape and we were there a lot longer than what had been expected of us. And when we came back, I had all intentions of going back to work for Nestle. Great company. I was making really good money, had great benefits, great retirement plan. 
And I got home and they were gracious and gave me another month off. And then I started researching. I started interviewing nannies and schools. And here I had this little two-year-old and learning to be a mom of a toddler. I was, I was crazy. And so yeah. there's a thing called post, post-adoption depression syndrome instead of, you know, um, postpartum. And so the Friday before I was supposed to go back to work, I called my boss in Dallas, Texas. And I said, I don't know what to do. I've always wanted to be a mom. Here I am, you know, 32 years old. I'm now a mom and I don't want to leave her. Mm -hmm. And so he was so awesome. He said, I respect you now more than the day I hired you. And here's why. He said, my wife chose her career over our son. We traveled worldwide and we have since divorced. She chose her career over our family, actually. And I'm raising my son alone. And um, they need their mom. They need their mom. Kids need their mom. And so I sat there and that was just such a struggle. And my husband looked at me and said, you can always go back to work. You can always. And so I did stay home. But it's not in me to just stay home. And I feel like <laughs> I feel like I always have to be contributing. So I have always had some type of, of business. I did run, a, I started the orphan care and adoption ministry and was able to, to help over 100 orphans find homes. And so I've always felt like I needed to be doing something and be helping in some way. And so just having small little at-home businesses, things that uh, brought in, you know, some income, some spending money. And so I do, you know, little odd things like that. Um, And so we'll see. I want to write a book. I've wanted to write a book since 2005. It's all in my head. I just need to get it on paper. And so being able to use gifts to, to bring in some income. Is, is always a good thing because you never know when you might when you might need it and I've definitely you know needed it the last 20 months yeah yeah it sounds like Craig set you up pretty well as the diverse side portfolio where income can come from from different things um yes but yeah you said it's nice to have a little extra right to to support that absolutely absolutely and you know what it keeps your mind going I mean you know it's you know my kids are pretty self-sufficient now and so they do online school. And so if I didn't have these things going, um, you know, you just kind of get complacent. And I think that having something, it can be really small. It can be going and volunteering somewhere. It can go, you know, work in a flower shop or a little boutique or a coffee shop or have a multi-level marketing business or whatever, something to give yourself some purpose and just keep your mind and, you know, sharp. I would always recommend. So, yeah, it's nice not to have the stress of money too much, too, right? With the life insurance and the other income that you exactly. have. Yeah, and you exactly. can kind of pursue exactly. things that are more passion. That right, absolutely sustain you, and it's not always about the money. Because it sounds like you're doing right. Great, you've worked on some great projects with orphans and now the widows. Well, and one of the things, you know, I reached out to a dear friend of his. Uh, shortly after, I said, look, I've got this life insurance and I've paid off what needs to be paid off. And so what do I do? And 
and he advised me to buy a rental property. And so I was able to get a really, really good deal on a rental property less than a mile from my house. And I've had a renter in it ever since I bought it last March. And so finding those types of things that if you have the ability, if you have it doesn't have to be a fancy house and this isn't a fancy house. It's just a small, you know, small little house that works. And, and so just having some of that as residual income every month is nice um, as well. So if you have the, the means to do that. Yeah. Do you, you look at that as well? I know that that's sometimes a concern for people when they do rent, rental properties is being a landlord. How has that experience been for you? So far, it's been it's been good. I bought this house; it had been um, a flip, so a realtor had bought it, gutted it, and so there were some definitely some growing pains in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and air conditioning went out and and things like that. So um, it's so far it's been a really pleasant experience outside of a couple of of um, repairs, but. It's, it's been good. And, you know, you just have to be firm. And then you also reach out to people that have done it. So I've, you know, reached out to other landlords. Okay, what what does your lease agreement look like? What does your rental look like? What is, you know, and just making sure that, that you stand firm in those things and you're not afraid. Uh, and, and then also, there's plenty of management companies out there that you can pass the baton to. And you can say, hey, I'm not really equipped to be a landlord. Would you handle this property for me? And then they, you know, they get a small commission. They may bump up the, the rent a little bit to compensate themselves, but they handle everything and you don't have to handle anything. You just get a, a check every month. That's yeah. another mm-hmm. option. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, is there anything else that you would share or any other lessons you've learned through your, your widow's walk? You know, I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned, I've become a different person in a, in a way. I've done things I never thought I could do. And I think that it is having the confidence, you know, in yourself that you can do it. And so, um, you know, I, and also asking for help and, and knowing that you can't do it all. That was a huge issue for me is asking for help. And, and so whatever that looks like. Great. And practical things. Good. And to pay tribute to Craig, you know, what would you thank him for? Like, what has he done that's been such a help for you now and that you're so grateful for him for what he did? I'm thankful that he set us up, he and his children, or me and his children. I'm thankful that he set us up with the knowledge and his wisdom and also just practical things like life insurance and making sure that we weren't in debt and making sure that we were well taken care of and that, you know, he set he would send those emails out and then being proactive and sending emails out to all those players in the, in the game, you know, and that, and that I would have people that I could call at any given time and say, look, 
this has happened, this unfortunate event has happened, and I need your help. And so I think setting all those things into motion has been, has been huge. And I'm very, very thankful because as I have met people through the widow's walk, that is not the case the majority of the time. So I hope that your podcast, I hope that my passion of helping widows somehow will get into the hands of those that haven't lost their spouse and that they can prepare and plan for the future. Because like I said earlier, 100% chance someone's going to pass away. And so you've got to be prepared. And it's yeah. tough conversations. Nobody wants to talk about dying, but you've got to have this tough conversation. Right. And well, it's probably pretty expected for you, for him to die from COVID, right? He's pretty, was he pretty healthy? And He was. He, he had um, some kidney issues that um, definitely played into COVID, but he was supposed to get out of the hospital. This was a Thursday night. He was supposed to get out over the weekend. They were going to push it to Monday. And he had a lung collapse. It was not expected. I mean, he was free of COVID, free of blood clots. And he was, we were sitting up eating a salad. And he, um, his lung collapsed. And, and then he just never recovered. Went on a ventilator. Went into cardiac arrest for 18 minutes on Friday night um, as they were trying to ventilate him. And he just, he just never recovered. And his kidney shut down. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, 51 he, you know, did CrossFit. I mean, he, I mean, he was, he was overweight, but he had was losing weight. And he was eating healthy. He was doing intermittent fasting. I mean, you know, he was, he wasn't like morbidly obese and in horrible health. So no, I w- it was not expected at all, especially when they told us, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll be out by Monday. He'll get to go home by Monday. So yeah, yeah it was unexpected for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you never know what might happen in life. COVID was a whole right. surprise for the world. So that, and then it just, yes. yeah, no, you never think you're going to be the person to die from that. Right. I mean, you really, you really don't. And I, and I look at people that did survive COVID that, I mean, I, you know, I have a friend that is morbidly obese and, you know, they, they survived COVID and, I look at people that were in the ICU with us. One of them was a nurse. I mean, she was physically fit. Um, another one was a dad who was a coach and he was physically fit. And I, and I just, and those are the people that, that didn't make it. So yeah, you just, you never knew. I mean, it, it really was not prejudiced, <laughs> you know? So it just, it took whoever it wanted. So yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing. We really appreciate you um, opening up about your, your situation and sharing the life lessons that you had. And um, so is Instagram the best place to find you, the widow's walk? Yes, I am on the widow's walk. And then I also have never alone widows and then it's Coleman, C-U-L-L-M-A-N. But the widow's walk is, is mainly where I post things. So yeah, they can find me there. Yeah. I know you've shared some encouragement and some, and, and your own journey a little bit on that. That's how we found you. So I, oh, you awesome. have some great, yeah, you have some great posts. So, well, thank, thank you, you so much, Becca. Um, and we encourage people to go check out your Instagram page. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, 
visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.